Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. We are on the road today, Batavia, Illinois. We'll tell you why in just a moment. It's a busy news day. Lots going on. The omnibus spending bill. What's in it for agriculture? We're going to get the details of that tomorrow. We're going to be talking with Dale Moore with the American Farm Bureau Federation, really break that down. But there's a lot in there, including the fix for the 199 situation with co-ops. Also, uh, the president pushing ahead with tariffs. A lot of concern in agriculture about that, of course. Speaking of pushing ahead, how House Ag Committee Chair Mike Conaway going to push ahead with the Farm Bill, even though there are still big differences between Republicans and Democrats over the nutrition title. Those differences have not been resolved, but Chairman Conaway pushing ahead anyway and hopes uh, to have a bill out in uh, April. Well, can they get that resolved or not? That's a big hurdle still to overcome. We'll see what they can come up with there, but they're pushing ahead at this point. Well, coming up on our program today, we're going to talk with Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation. National Milk is supporting the FDA proposal that would revoke heart health claims for soy protein, especially in soy milk. And, of course, the dairy industry has a real problem with uh, uh, other products using that milk name, including soy. And uh, we'll get into that issue with Chris Galen here in just a few moments. We're going to have some livestock market outlook with Chris Hurt from Purdue University. And we're going to learn about a new motorcycle that's going to come out, an ethanol motorcycle that the uh, renewable fuels industry very excited about. We're going to talk with Robert White with the RFA and talk more about the RFS situation as well. But as I mentioned, I'm in Batavia, Illinois, uh, here at the studios for the TV show This Week in Agribusiness. I'm uh, on there this week with my good friend Max Armstrong. And Max, not often do I do my radio show with makeup on, and here we have makeup on. <laughs> hey, you look better than ever, pal. I want to tell you, you have a face for radio. That's what they always tell me. <laughs> hey, but it's me- the headsets are messing up our hair, and we have to go back and do more TV. <laughs> messing up our hair. I like that, yes. Both At least we them. have some still to mess <laughs> That's up true. a little That's bit. That's true. Right? It's getting awful white, though. Yeah. Mine is. Hey, this week was a big week with uh, – Ag Day activities and Ag Week activities. You were in our nation's capital for a lot of those, uh, doing a lot of the MC work at USDA. And among your guests, you had the Vice President, Mike Pence. That had to be a special day. Mike Pence came into the patio area of the USDA. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it showed that there was recognition even above the cabinet level of National Agriculture Day. He brought with him a proclamation. This is the second year that there's been a White House proclamation for National Agriculture Day. There wasn't in the past. And I think uh, uh, there was a mighty push given to this by Ray Starling, who is the White House aide in terms of trade and agriculture, a native of North Carolina, former national FFA officer. Uh, he really is a great supporter of ag and, and is a supporter of National Agriculture Day. And this comes at a time, Max, where I think the ag community wants to be reassured that things are going to be okay because they're concerned about the tariffs. They're concerned about getting a farm bill done. They're concerned what's going to happen with NAFTA. Uh, So they want to be assured that this administration is going to take care of them and watch out for their interests. Can you ever recall in in our years of covering the agriculture scene, more things on the plate, more things in play at one time than we have right now, the issues that really, really matter to so many farmers across the country. And uh, the vice president was there uh, showing his support, kind of sounding like he was out on the campaign trail a little bit, uh, showing his support for agriculture. And, of course, the agriculture secretary, Sonny Perdue, was there as well. Uh, He says, you know, we were taken by surprise, many folks were, by the president's initiative to put those tariffs on imports. Uh, Secretary Perdue says he's continuing to have communication with the White House, reminding them of how important agriculture trade is to our farmers and how damaging it would be if some of our trading partners started to pull back on what they buy from us in retaliation. Agriculture puts a lot of faith in Sonny Perdue. Uh, Everyone counting on him to be that voice of reason, uh, speaking to the president. You and I have covered a lot of ag secretaries over the years. He's a special one. Uh, You and I, I think, both kind of uh, he reminds us of our days with Jack Block. Yeah, exactly. Personable, the way he relates to farmers. And I think in this administration, that is very critical. It really is. He likes being with farmers. He pointed out that he's been with farmers in, I believe he said, 34 states since he became secretary less than a year ago. we got to remember that. Yeah. It was less than a year ago that he was finally confirmed for that uh, post in the cabinet because there was a delay in 
and getting uh, the appointment made. But uh, he's, you know, we just have to hope that that pipeline stays open between Sonny Purdue and and he really is a, a down to earth, likable guy. And you, you just hope that the president will continue to listen to him and to Ray Starling. I have people ask me all the time, do you think he really has the president's ear? And I say, I think he does, but I'm worried about the two and three and four other voices that may be in his ear as well. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, there are many people clamoring for the attention of the president. This president, of course, is very different. Uh, Who knows what voices he hears in his head, Uh, but he acts with determination when he does act. Uh, We just have so much. I, I think one thing that comes to mind to to folks like yourself and myself was we've traveled on trade missions in the past. It took so long to build these markets. It's been so challenging to maintain them. It is such a competitive trade arena, and we are so reliant upon those markets, we hate to see any damage done whatsoever. And uh, we'll just keep our fingers crossed and hope at the end of the day that uh, we'll come out okay. This guy's a tough negotiator. He has a very different negotiating stance, the fellow who's in the White House now. He approaches it totally different than anybody else in the past. Uh, we'll just uh, hope that at the end of the day we'll be okay. Because history tells us for agriculture, tariffs, and you get into tariff wars, you don't win in those situations. It's never been good for agriculture, and it's hard to see how this would be good for agriculture. Trade sanctions have proven to me, as you know, Mike, just devastating. January 4th of 1980, when Jimmy Carter imposed sanctions on uh, the old Soviet Union for its invasion of Afghanistan. It took years to get over that. Our share of the Soviet grain market went from, I think it was 60% to zero overnight. And it was devastating when combined with the depression of the ag economy that was taking place at that time. Uh, it was it was something that took years to get over. And, and it's difficult to win back the confidence of those trading partners. There's a lot of uneasiness, but talking with Chris Clayton from DTN yesterday, uh, he pointed out, and I thought this was a good point, since the Trump has been in the office, in office, it really hasn't hurt the ag economy. There's just anxiousness. When's it going to get better? As many hoped it would when he was elected. And he has done, as of course the administration hastens to point out, some things that have been very positive for agriculture. One of those is waters of the United States. That was an issue that loomed larger than life out there. And and as the vice president and the ag secretary reminded farmers and ranchers this week, that was one thing that the the, the administration immediately put out of its misery when they arrived on the scene. Of course, now it's in the courts, and, and we're waiting for them to, now the administration to write a, a new rule. But, yeah, when you think back to election time, that was probably issue number one for many farmers. Oh, I think so. Well, of course, we didn't know we were going to get into such a, a trade uh, dis, dis, dispute here on a large-scale basis. Yeah, real quick, I think the concern now how does the administration juggle its commitments to helping the Rust Belt without hurting the Farm Belt? Yeah, you know, it's it's difficult. And and those are the the geographies you describe are <laughs> the same. You know, it's you, you you look at these major states such as Illinois, such as Michigan, Ohio, key agriculture states while also having those steel mills and and other Rust Belt jobs, as you describe them. Interesting times for sure. Max, good to see you. Good to good see to you, sir. You. Folks, tune in this weekend to watch Mr. Adams on television. He, Max will get me through. <laughs> I appreciate it. He's right. even better on TV. <laughs> Coming up next, Chris Galen with the National Milk Producers Federation will join us. We've got a lot of dairy issues, a lot of challenges in the dairy industry right now. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. 
the mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Hey, welcome back to AOA. The National Milk Producers Federation supports the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's proposal to revoke an authorized health claim that links soy protein with a reduced risk of coronary heart disease. And National Milk also repeated its uh, position that FDA take action against plant-based food companies that uh, inappropriately use dairy terminology to market their products such as soy milk. Here to talk about it is the Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation, Chris Galen. Chris, thanks for joining us on Adams and Agriculture. Sure. Happy to be with you again, Mike. All right, this issue, let's talk about it. Uh, this is kind of the, another step in your ongoing uh, 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 approach to trying to get FDA to uh, stop other uh, plant-based products from using milk as uh, in their title, in their, in their name. Now, tell us about this latest effort on the, on the health claim. Yes, that's part of it, Mike, and I'll touch on that in a second. The immediate issue here this week is that the Food and Drug Administration has been for a while thinking about basically no longer allowing companies that market soy products to say that this is heart healthy. Uh, for the past 20 years, there's been a health claim allowance that says if you have soy protein in a food or su sufficient amounts of soy protein, soy protein, you can say that that will reduce a person's risk of heart disease. And now for the last decade, the FDA has said, well, the science on this has become inconsistent, and so maybe we shouldn't allow that health claim. And so they recently had a comment period where different groups could weigh in with their two cents worth, and that's what we've done here this week is saying, yeah, you know, if, if the uh, interpretation of this research is evolving, then the FDA basically needs to sever this claim that they're authorizing between soy protein and heart disease. Any idea, is there a timeline set by FDA when Megra make this determination? Well, the, 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 the comment period is closing here this month. In terms of next steps, I'm not certain exactly how quickly FDA is going to move. As I said a minute ago, this proposed rule came out uh, about 10 years now after the agency initially said it was going to reevaluate the science behind the protein, soy protein claim. So hopefully it won't take another 10 years, probably another six months or so before they issue a final rule. But as I mentioned, Chris, this is part of the overall uh, effort that you have underway yes. to address this issue. And we've talked about so 
into a grocery store, if you're watching TV, uh, you're seeing advertisements, and in the grocery store you're seeing all these different products, uh, different types of what they say are milk products, so using the name milk, whether it's almonds or soy or whatever it may be, and this has been a concern for the dairy industry for some time. Yes, it's kind of funny, Mike, because this this health claim about soy, which we're talking about, was first authorized back in 1999, so almost 20 years ago. And it was right about that same time that we started to see the growth in imitation dairy products made from plants like soybeans. And now in the last 10 years, it's been almonds and rice, and you have some crazy things now, not just hemp, which has become almost a mainstream product, but things like canary seeds and and banana milk and all variety of things. And a lot of these are... uh, products that are cannibalizing sales from other plant-based foods. Uh, And so it's all the more important here that the FDA step in and be an honest broker in not only the health claims that are allowed, but also how these products are labeled. Because the fact is that the name of a product, if you're calling yourself milk, that connotes a certain amount of health value. And and that's the reason why these plant-based imitators want to use milk, even though they don't have any real milk in them, is because milk has a healthy connotation. And so all the more reason then that the FDA has to clarify that milk is term that's reserved only for products from dairy animals yeah i guess obviously there's a they see the value in the name milk or they wouldn't be using it right Absolutely, and that's the funny thing is that when we talk about these issues, we always get some blowback primarily from the vegetarian and the vegan crowd saying, you know, we should be able to call these products all we want, and, you know, dairy folks, they're, they're bad, it's bad what you're doing to the cows, we're against milk. Oh, but by the way, we want to use the term milk on our plant-based imitator. So it's the old saying, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. It's also just a little frustrating that they want to criticize dairy farmers in one breath and then say, well, if you're going to have milk, we still want to be able to use the term for our milk imitations. We're talking with Chris Galen, Senior Vice President Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. You use the word frustrating. Is is that how you describe, or are you to that point yet on what's happening with NAFTA or not happening when it comes to dairy? Because it doesn't sound like anything really has happened there. They haven't really taken up that contentious issue. Sure. Well, we, we well. Mike, we always knew that this was going to be one of the last issues regarding the NAFTA talks, at least regarding where we are with Canada. Um, Our our point for the past year has been let's not jeopardize our market in Mexico. That's our number one dairy export market. But at the same time, we need to use these talks with both countries, in particular to focus on what Canada is doing to disrupt trade in dairy products between the U.S. and Canada. And they're also doing some bad things in global markets that are antagonizing not just the U.S., but other countries as well. Uh, we, We haven't seen a lot of concrete progress so far. But again, I think that's one of those things where it's going to be a last-minute decision or concession that's going to be made, and until you see progress overall with the whole deal, it's unlikely you're going to see much movement on the um, concessions or any change in the Class 7 pricing program that's really sticking in our craw regarding what Canada is doing. Chris, I was asked this week, uh, is there any sign of, of uh, movement by the the U.S. dairy industry and what they would accept in this? Uh, uh, is it all or nothing? Is there a compromise position? Is, I mean, is there middle ground to be reached here on this, or, or what, it, what do you see happening? Our, our point is that uh, Canada and our relationship with Canada regarding dairy trade was, was okay for the last 10 years. I mean, there's, we don't necessarily uh, like what they've done with uh, tariffs and other things to keep our Uh, exports from reaching that country, but we were exporting some products. And then, lo and behold, about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, they came up with this new pricing program that was not only designed to uh, cut off what little we were exporting up to Canada, but also it allows them to underprice their uh, skim milk proteins and dump those milk proteins in global markets. So, so that's really the, the main point, Mike, in terms of what we need to see rectified here. There are other issues as well, but it, it's that clear and present concern and clear and present danger that's posed by this Class 7 program. And uh, the, the, the fact that they implemented it right about the time that we began the process of renegotiating NAFTA, uh, that was just a coincidence, but actually it's a fortuitous coincidence because it will allow us to continue using the NAFTA talk that Class 7 system. Yeah, because when I...
someone from Canada. I said, well, could you, what if you put in there, we will never put in this class seven pricing system again, that it is that system or the ability to do that is part and parcel to their dairy uh, supply management system in Canada. So they didn't see how you cut that out. So uh, it seems to me that leaves us right back at the same, the same problem then. Well, and here's the irony is that the, the idea with supply management is that you're supposed to not really allow any foreign competition in, which they do quite effectively, but also produce then because it's priced so high, they, they have an artificially elevated price there. It shouldn't allow them to export. The class seven system is basically an end run around that last equation by allowing them to underprice their excess skim milk proteins. And so the point, Mike, is that they're not managing their supply. If they did, no dairy products and nothing would be leaving Canada and it would be almost like a completely controlled environment. Uh, now what they're doing is they're still keeping out the imports from the U.S. and other places, but then they're uh, using this Class 7 as a relief valve and so their supply actually has raced ahead. I mean, they're exporting uh, much more milk powder now lately than they were even a few years ago and it's all because of this new pricing system. So that's really what needs to change. Chris, if we could get what we would have had in TPP as far as market access, would that be uh, something that uh, the U.S. dairy industry would uh, uh, say is a, a win for us in NAFTA? Well, I, I hate to say what's going to be a win because you know, no one's going to get 100% of what they want. Um, you know, the TPP market access both to Canada and Japan was a little bit more, certainly not ideal. Uh, there were some other elements in TPP re- that were not tariff-related, but non-tariff barriers and phytosanitary health health claims and all those sorts of things uh, that were that were positive. Uh, so, so there were some positive things about TPP, but it wasn't like we were just jumping up and down about what a great deal it was uh, that, that we were going to have if that had gone forward. All right, Chris, thanks a lot uh, for the update, and uh, we'll, we'll watch this uh, ongoing story and see what the FDA does uh, on the health claim and also on uh, yep. uh, the use of, of milk. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention quickly, Mike, is that we've also been working on a couple of these elements that are in this omnibus spending bill that's about to pass mm-hmm. the Congress, and so that's going to be uh, good news for our farmers regarding the circular air emissions piece. We've been working a lot with other livestock groups there, and so that's going to be a really good outcome for our farmers. Hey, we'll follow up on that. Chris, thanks a lot. Sure thing, Mike. Chris Galen, Senior Vice President, Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Some livestock market outlook next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Steady firm in the grain and oil seed sector on this Thursday trading session. In the wheat futures, we are climbing three to four and a half higher in Chicago wheat, Kansas City, eight to nine in a fraction better. And Minneapolis spring wheat in on the fun too, four to five and a quarter higher. In soybean futures, the old crop near unchanged. May soybeans eked out a modest gain Wednesday, but we did hold below initial 10-day moving average resistance at 1038 and three quarters. An hour into the day, May beans hovering around 1030, down a fraction of a cent. May corn stabilizing above minor support at 373 and a quarter to 372 and a quarter. Yesterday's session, an hour into this Thursday, May corn up a fraction 375 
and a half. For livestock, the Merck, light to moderate cash cattle trade volume surfaced once again in the northern tier of cattle feeding country yesterday. Nebraska deals seen on a live basis, mostly 126. Dress deals at 203, close to steady with Tuesday, but about $2 lower than the bulk of prices a week ago. In live cattle futures on this Thursday, we are trending 5 to 27 cents higher. Feeder cattle, a dime to 55 cents better. Lean hog futures, minus signs there, 20 to 30 cents lower. Cash at the upper Midwest terminals on this Thursday being called steady. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow is down 245 points. NASDAQ composite down 60. S&P 500 down 22. May crude oil in New York down 47 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Some livestock market outlook uh, for you now. Joined by Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag Economist. Chris, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to talk with you. Hey, we keep talking about all this protein we have and, and more coming. Uh, that makes us a little nervous about prices. Let's start on the hog side. What do you see ahead? Well, obviously, we do have um, uh, an increase uh, in the last several weeks in slaughter rates, and that has gotten the market uh, nervous, obviously, at this point. You know, the balance we've always talked about this year has been those near-record production amounts of protein, uh, animal protein coming to the market, and then almost near-record demand for that protein. So those high incomes we're seeing, growing wage rates, uh, more people back to work in the United States, strong world economy, all contribute to the strong demand side. So this has been the question. We're going to hit pretty big cattle invent, uh, supplies in the second quarter as well. And as we look at the hog prices, we started out the year with hogs running higher than year-ago levels. And then, of course, more recently, with the big supply increases, we've seen those hog prices drop below last year. Um, as we look at the finishing up the first quarter here, we think we're going to be, on average, pretty close to where we were a year ago. And second quarter hog prices, we think probably on a lean basis around $68. And we're still budgeting those just a touch higher than last year. But then uh, in the third quarter, dropping uh, lean prices around $70. And when I say dropping, we're dropping relative to last year. Uh, but uh, for the year in, in total, uh, right now, we're still saying looks pretty close to last year as a yearly average. Uh, one of the discouraging factors is that cost of production is a little bit higher. So obviously, we'll move from a bit of profit last year to maybe a little bit of loss, at least on our estimates uh, at this time for 2018. Talking with Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag Economist. Well, Chris, you said that uh, a lot of beef going to be on the market as well. Well, that is right, and I think uh, that's um, obviously a concern. We've seen cattle prices hold up uh, very well this year so far. Again, the strong demand, and when we look at the meats, uh, beef in particular gets more consumption when you have higher incomes. And so I think we are seeing that income impact uh, this year in the good economy, 
that is showing up on beef. Uh, but we're going to end up with about 4%, probably more beef uh, year over year. And that would suggest these finished cattle prices should drop from about 122 uh, down to maybe around 118 for an average price for the year. Now, uh, I'm actually have been a little more optimistic on the demand side and only dropping those prices to about 120 for an average price uh, for the year. And um, again, this is the battle I think we have going on. Lots of protein. We've got the animal industry back at full production after some big uh, reductions in per capita supplies uh, due to the Southern Plains drought that was so pervasive and caused cow liquidation and the high grain prices that also caused some cutbacks. So good news for, I think, the animal industry, good news for the grain industry selling feed. That is, we're back to full production. Uh, we'll be uh, cranking out about 220 pounds of, per capita of uh, meat here this year, and uh, that's about where the peak was back in 2007. Yeah, that it's been an amazing story, this demand. Uh, it, fortunately, we've had the strong demand, but it is good to hear, Chris, uh, having the system at full production. Uh, just a matter now, can we sustain it and sustain it at prices that uh, will, are, are profitable for producers? Well, that's uh, always the battle that we have going on. Uh, I think by definition, a producer likes to produce. If there's profitable opportunity to produce, they can find a way to expand production. So that expansion of production that we've had has been pretty robust uh, going back to 2014 when we were at uh, record high prices on our animal industry prices, and uh, that's when we uh, really saw the grain prices dropping down. So feed prices dropped sharply. We had high prices on the animal industries, and what we had was huge profitability, and boy, did we expand, expand, expand. So um, those adjustments largely are made, and now the industries have to recognize they can't expand like they have the last three years because we were making up for some, some lost production, essentially, with those high feed price years. So we're going to have to get back, find where that level is, uh, I think we're going to be there. Certainly, as I mentioned, the pork industry uh, probably will operate at a little bit of loss this year, and that's going to be particularly because of losses in the fourth quarter. Uh, the cattle industry, we look at those calf prices, and again, you say, where is there, are the current levels really high enough to stimulate further follow-through on the breeding herd? And what our numbers suggest is it's just not enough incentive. We're probably going to uh, perhaps get this uh, brood cow numbers, beef cow numbers, pretty stable as we get through the end of this year. In other words, the expansion phase was pretty short, about four years. And often we're going five to seven years on the expansion phase. Chris, we're talking a lot right now about NAFTA and trade deals. Uh, when you're going to have that kind of supply, you better, better be able to market it, and we know a lot of it goes into the export channels. Uh, we cannot really afford to have any disruption in uh, those uh, export sales, can we? Well, that's right, and, um, you know, we're about 11% of our beef is exported. Uh, broilers, we're around 16%. Pork, we're up to 22% expected this year that we would move into those export markets. And you begin to think about uh, anything that cuts back on that opportunity to sell to our foreign customers, and it really does begin to make you nervous. Uh, again, we're going through a uh, untested waters, I think, in terms of uh, our administration talking about and putting uh, – trade restrictions on, and of course uh, the worry for agriculture is not what we do in the United States, it's what retaliation might come. So clearly the European Union, uh, China have both targeted agriculture as some of the goods that they may try to uh, pinpoint and uh, put some kind of barriers to uh, us selling them as much. Again, there's been some arguments from the uh, administration that uh, on things like uh, bean, soybeans, as an example, uh, 
over $12 billion of U.S. beans sold to China, that China needs those soybeans, so uh, maybe they uh, their restrictions would reduce the amount they buy from the U.S., uh, and uh, but they would buy more from Brazil, Argentina, and then Brazil, Argentina would sell less to the European Union, and we would sell more to the U- European Union. I think what it really does, if we have trade restrictions on U.S. exports, going to China as an example, it makes us the last supplier. Uh, Beans from the United States become the highest cost beans. So Brazil, Argentina, and other countries. So the carryover of the world, the extra inventory, that's automatically going to be the United States. Uh, I don't like, uh, and I don't think many farmers like, uh, being the residual supplier uh, we'll come to the United States uh, if we have to, but uh, they'll be the, the source of last resort. We've spent 40 years now uh, working diligently, uh, USDA, agricultural trade groups, to tell the world we're reliable suppliers of high-quality agricultural goods. Uh, we don't like to be pushed back to the residual supplier. Yeah, we don't want to take a step back. You're right. Talking so to Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag scary. Economist. Yeah. Uh, re- real quick, Chris, uh, you you mentioned poultry. Uh, what kind of poultry uh, supply are we going to see uh, more more competition in that meat case with pork and beef? Well, that's right. Uh, you know, roughly 2% more poultry, uh, maybe a little more controlled on the expansion in those industries than what we've seen uh, with the growth in uh, both the pork and the beef, more 3 to 4%. But you put all that together, and we're looking at about 221 pounds of uh, meat per person in the United States. Uh, and that uh, goes back and reties approximately the 2007 level at 222 pounds. So it looks like uh, we'll have reasonably strong prices on broilers. USDA is talking 91 cents this year versus 93 last year. And uh, turkey prices down uh, about 5% from last year. So I think all this says is generally slightly lower prices uh, and maybe a little more than slightly lower to slightly lower prices across the meat complex with uh, actually feed prices a little bit higher. So you're squeezing margins pretty much across the board. And, of course, the milk sector uh, really has negative margins at this point. Well, we'll see. Might be some aggressive uh, selling in the meat case, some uh, good pricing there to get uh, consumers to buy. Uh, That's right. And, again, we are thankful for the demand that we have at this point. Obviously, uh, those losses could have been a lot larger had we not had the strong demand. Mm -hmm. But, again, we're watching uh, kind of the, the big economic picture, trade, a war would be very negative to world economic growth, most of us think. These rising interest rates uh, and uh, continued uncertainty, I think, with the overall policy direction of the administration, all, all are things that say uh, the strong economy might not be as strong as we had thought early in the year. Always all right, all the out there. Yep, a lot lot of factors at play here, interconnected. Thanks a lot, Chris. Good to talk with you. Good to talk with you, Mike. Chris Hurt, Purdue Ag Economist. All right, motorcycle enthusiasts especially, stay tuned. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. 
Because when you call for your free Endless Pool Idea Kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information. 800-717-0734. 800-717-0734. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready, carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled-release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen? That's a given. Responsive nitrogen? That's amazing. That's ESN. Go to SmartNitrogen.com to learn more. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Broadcasting today from Batavia, Illinois, the studios of This Week in Agribusiness. My thanks to Max Armstrong for being on with us earlier and uh, providing us with a great uh, place to broadcast from today. 
and joined now by Robert White from the Renewable Fuels Association. Now, when I saw a note here a few days ago from Robert that uh, there was going to be a big announcement coming, really exciting news. I knew it either had to do something with ethanol or something to do with his Kansas City Royals, and I didn't see where they had any big signings, so I figured it had to be ethanol and probably something to do with motorcycles, and I was right. Robert, welcome. Big news for you. Tell us about it. Well, thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be on your new program. Uh, we have the luxury and pleasure of teaming up with Paul Tuttle Jr. of American Chopper fame, and he is—he has built us a custom ethanol motorcycle that is en route to Kansas City as we speak, and we will unveil that and film it for an episode of American Chopper this Saturday at East Kansas Agri-Energy. Wow, can you give us a sneak preview? Can you give us an idea of what it's going to look like? Well, that's the the wild thing that Paul Jr. does. He, we don't know. <laughs> and we are going to hopefully have a crowd, it sounds like, uh, probably close to 1,000 people. we got bikers coming from multiple states um, and members and, you know, ethanol enthusiasts and motorcycle enthusiasts coming from all over the country. And his, uh, you know, concept is that you tell him what interests you and what you want out of this bike, and then that's the end of it, and you don't see it until the world sees it. Robert, there's significance here because I know you have worked hard, you especially have worked hard in the last few years uh, to reach out to uh, motorcycle enthusiasts uh, with the ethanol message and say, hey, uh, we can work together here. This is a fuel that works for you, too. Yeah, it's been a long, long ride, (laughs) for lack of better words. But uh, we've been going to Sturgis now. August will be our 10th year that we've been partnered with the Buffalo Chip Campground out there, really the at the center of the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally each year. And we've gone as far as handing out materials that first year in a very humble beginning to last year opening up a gas station in what is now the Buffalo Chip South Dakota municipality. And we've watched the tide slowly but surely turn, and motorcyclists are starting to understand that a lot of what they've heard in misinformation referencing ethanol and motorcycles is just that, that it's not factual, and that there are motorcycle manufacturers, in fact, all of them encourage the use of E10, and some of them have even moved their warranty level up to E15 uh, to, to show the changing of the times and the changing of the fuel available, available out in the public. So we, we can continue to fight the efforts of the American Motorcyclists Association, and which is definitely an oil-funded threat, but in the end, when we get down to the individual motorcycle rider, we're definitely making head, head, head strong. Yeah, you've come a long ways, that's for sure, and a lot of work has gone into that. And it's, uh, it's good to see um, some of those walls be torn down and, 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 and uh, the educational process that's been going on. Okay, give us a few more details, a, l- a little bit more. Remind us about this big unveiling of the new motorcycle. Sure, it'll take place Saturday at 3 p.m. at East Kansas Agri-Energy, which is at in Garnett, Kansas. If anyone's interested in coming, they can reach out to the RFA, but just be at the high school in Garnett between 1 and 2.30, and buses will shuttle you over. We'll film the unveil for American Chopper, and we expect that episode to air uh, probably late June, early July. All right. Robert, I, I wanted to ask you about the RFS debate that's going on. I, I see these uh, headlines, uh, you know, administration looking to find a win-win solution on the RFS. I'm thinking, wait a minute, it, it's working. It, it, isn't, it did not need fixed. Why are you looking for something here to change it? Well, and I think that's the message you've seen from our champions on the Hill with Grassley and Ernst and, and others now starting to speak up more and more that, you know, the, the win for us, no matter what comes along, has to avoid demand destruction. And every proposal we've seen from the opposition has been just that. And, in fact, you, if you saw yesterday, the, the boss, Bob Deneen, was even talking that EPA has already been successful in demand destruction. We've seen rent prices drop uh, 60% in the last few weeks. We've seen uh, PES get a bailout with their bankruptcy. We've seen small uh, refiner exemptions. They've, they're already winning and we need to make sure that we don't go any further backwards. And, in fact, uh, the latest rumors are maybe they'll kick it back to Congress and the White House will leave it alone. And that's really where the debate should be. Congress passed that law more than 10 years ago. It has been successful, 
and we can prove that if given the opportunity. And really, that is where it should be. Uh, as we've been told, the administration technically doesn't have the authority to change it. So uh, it was written by Congress, passed by Congress. That's where it needs to be addressed. Well, if, if the White House were to act, uh, it's almost certain that there would be some sort of lawsuit, if, if not from both sides. And the debate has been going on in Congress since its passage, fortunately or unfortunately, and the law has stood at the test of time. And we've seen that the facts are on our side. We've proven multiple times that the RFS has been an unmitigated success. And the poster child of this effort is Philadelphia Energy Solutions, which has been well documented as a horribly ran uh, company. And we know where the money went. It was payouts. It was mismanagement it should not be the poster child of what is the fight against the rfs because the two really don't correlate and hopefully we are getting closer to e15 being allowed to be sold year-round yeah you know that's that's the carrot that they're offering for us but that should have been resolved a long time ago Mm -hmm. uh administrator pruitt said many months ago if he had the legal authority to do it he would uh it's taking him a long time to figure that out but nonetheless we've documented that as well for the past six years that he does have that legal authority and it is critical for e15 expansion because june 1st once again is coming up very soon and that precludes e15 from being sold in the conventional gasoline markets which is 70 percent of our market today yeah they need to just go ahead and do that and not be using that as some kind of a bargaining chip to try to get caps on wrens or whatever that they've been trying to do okay uh robert thanks a lot appreciate it you excited about baseball your royals how are they going to do this year well let's hope they get the 65 wins it's not going to be a great year all right but it, it'll be good to have baseball back it's just around the corner robert always good to talk with you big uh, big unveiling coming up with that new motorcycle we'll be watching thanks a lot thanks mike Robert White with Renewable Fuels Association. Hey, thanks for joining us. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about this omnibus uh, spending bill, what's in it for agriculture, and much, much more. Latest on the farm bill, too. Join us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.